transmission. Bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue pour un nouvel épisode de... Oops, sorry, sorry for my French. I got a bit carried away by the topic of today, because in this new episode of EU Watchdog Radio, we discuss France, French politics and the role that French President Emmanuel Macron wants to play in Europe and what vision he has for the future of Europe. Disclaimer, it's a very corporate-driven future of Europe. So nevertheless, welcome. My name is Hans van Schaar, media officer at Corporate Europe Observatory, also known as CEO. So, let's get it on with. We talk about La France, eh? Mais oui! Well, to be honest, I prefer the musical provocation Aux Armes, etc., about the French national anthem made by the artist and enfant terrible Serge Gainsbourg. Merci beaucoup, Serge, and hope you're having fun in heaven, where they hopefully have enough cigarettes and wine. So, back to France and Europe. Every six months, another EU country takes over the presidency of the Council, which is a powerful EU institution, which is the decision-making body of all member states of the European Union. And since the start of the new year, this is France. And while there are so many files and policy areas that are currently on the EU agenda, the French presidency of the EU already started as a bad joke, because French extreme right and nationalist politicians made a big fuss early January about how, in their view, a European flag on the Arc de Triomphe was a big blow in the face of French people and their sovereignty. These people probably do not like the song by Serge Gainsbourg either. There are so many important issues touching people and the planet alike, such as climate change, corona pandemic, energy prices, inequality, new military tensions, the lack of quality jobs, racism, pesticide pollution and farmers going bankrupt, etc., etc., that one would think there are other things on the minds of French people than a European flag hanging from a monument in Paris. But nevertheless... The extreme right politicians like Le Pen and Zemmour managed to lead the debate on Europe. A poor debate, that is. But let's get serious, because that is what the French president Macron wants us to believe he is when it comes to the future of 500 million European citizens. Macron presented the agenda of his government's presidency of the EU Council to the European Parliament in a plenary session in Strasbourg. A key buzzword during his speech was sovereignty. 
a buzzword indeed, because it appeared in his recent speeches about Europe. The slogan of the French EU presidency covering the first half of 2022 is Relance, Puissance, Appartenance, meaning revival, power, belonging. And all these three terms are variations of the concept of sovereignty. But what does Macron really mean by this term, souveraineté? And what implication does it have for EU citizens? And by the way, what happened with the other three famous word slogan connected to, the, to France, liberté, égalité, fraternité? Or in other words, what happened to French and European democracy? To answer these questions, we'll talk in this episode first to CEO researcher Vicky Kahn and then to Laura Verheke, researcher for Observatoire des Multinationales. Welcome, Vicky. Um, now, to start with a general question, why is the presidency of the European Council um, uh, that is changing every six months, why is that an important event? First of all, we need to understand why the Council, I think, is really important in the EU institutions. The EU Council brings together the 27 member states, its ministers and its officials, and it really has a lot of power within the EU architecture. It is a co-legislator with the Parliament and the Commission. The Council is at the table when all the important EU decisions are taken. And on some issues, it's even in the lead, particularly on, on, on tax, where the European Parliament doesn't have a, a, a strong voice. So, first of all, the Council is really important. And then the presidency of the Council, that is then super important for the member state that is taking charge. So, every six months, the presidency of the Council rotates to a different member state. It was last year, it was Slovenia, now it's France. And that really puts France, the French government, in the, in the driving seat, if you like, of setting the agenda for the EU Council for all the meetings that it will have internally, but also all the meetings that it will have with the other institutions. It doesn't mean that the, the French presidency will get everything its own way, but it will be able to decide what gets discussed, which of the upcoming legislative files it will prioritise, and what take it will try and, and, and push to the other member states and on what angles it will try and get agreement so really, the, the, the holding the presidency of the, of the EU Council is really a key opportunity for a government, and in this case, for, for President Macron. Right, thank you. Now, a bit of an obvious question, because you just published a report on the French presidency. But why is the French uh, uh, EU presidency in particular important? I remember you've previously published a big report when Germany, for example, public, um, became the uh, EU president. Um, but why specifically do you think the French presidency is, is particularly important? Well, it comes at a very interesting time, particularly for President Macron himself. He will be facing re-election in April. Um, there will then be French parliamentary elections in the months after. So the French presidency of the EU will coincide with these national elections. And it will be very interesting to see how these two uh, factors um, uh, play off against each other. Clearly, Macron will be looking for some quick wins from his EU presidency in order to sell to some voters. 
Um, that's that's one aspect. But also there will also be the issue of the of the far right in the French elections, and of course a lot of EU skepticism um, that Macron will have to battle. So it will be interesting from that perspective. But it will be whether you're a French citizen or whether you're a citizen from another EU country. The French presidency will also be very important as well because, of course, we are trying to come out of the, the corona pandemic and rebuild economies, rebuild societies, rebuild health systems. So there will be, there's an agenda there. There is the absolute urgency of tackling the climate crisis. And uh, Macron has a big agenda there around promoting nuclear and gas, um, very worryingly. And I think there is a, a, just a concern that we map out in the report about how close the French government has been to private interests, to big corporate interests in the run-up to the, the, the presidency and the preparation of the presidency of the, of, the, of the EU. But also, more generally, in the report, we also map revolving doors, for example, between the French government and um, the counts uh, and the and and, and um, big business. So, on many many levels, we are concerned that the the French government will be promoting an agenda which very much suits not just French multinationals but EU multinationals in general. And then that should be a concern, I think, for all of us as 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 European citizens. Right. Yes. Connecting the dots about what you said about the uh, energy and climate agenda and revolving doors. I remember reading in your report that the former French EU ambassador, for example, now is working with uh, Areva, the nuclear company, and and EDF, big energy company. But that that uh, there's many examples of that that you describe in your report. Indeed. Now, I, before we go on to the the point you just made, I just one more question on the council itself. Um, because I know you have been researching the council for many years, and um, thanks to also your work, um, the council is known to be uh, one of the least transparent of the EU institutions. Um, so what do you expect specifically, um, based on your research and this new report that you published, um, now France being at the steering wheel of the council for six months, what do you expect, um, what can we expect on um, issues like transparency and accountability? I'm afraid my um, my sense of the ambition of the Macron government on that issue is really very, very low. It's hardly featured at all in any of the preparatory uh, statements or, or, or publications. And, and that really, I'm afraid, fits with the, uh, the record of the Macron government on um, uh, transparency and accountability issues at the EU level. Um, and we should contrast that with the speech that Macron made back in 2017, where he came up with very lofty language about um, that, um, that the essence of the European project is democracy. He said that we as EU decision makers should stop being afraid of the people and we must stop building Europe in isolation from the European people. That's all good, good sounding stuff. But unfortunately, since then, very little has, has happened on, on his initiative. And in fact, I would say behind the scenes, um, behind closed doors at the, at the council in Brussels, in fact, the Macron government has been taking regressive positions on, on transparency and accountability. It's not part of the group of 10 Member states that have been pushing an agenda to open up 
council decision making and it has um, opposed taking a tougher line on, on things like corporate sponsorship of the EU presidencies as well and a, a really egregious practice which is still going on today. Uh, France has taken sponsorship from Renault and Stellantis, big, big car companies, following a pattern of, of, of almost all other presidencies in, in, in recent times. And so this lofty language that we heard from Macron in 2017 has not has not been acted upon. And so my ambition or my sense of the ambition of Macron is, 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 uh, is very low um, on, on this area. And we can also look at um, the position of French MPs because we as citizens are, are, are really excluded from decision making, from understanding the decision making that member states take in the council. It, it happens behind closed doors in secret. But it's not just citizens that are excluded. It's also national MPs in many ways. There are a few countries, a few member states where MPs are um, involved and able to scrutinize the positions that its member state takes in the council. But France is not one of them. And instead, um, the French government like to keep their cards very close to their chest when they're negotiating with other member states. And that means that there is very little accountability, scrutiny, democracy and transparency um, it, it, between um, the, the, the French government and French politicians, French citizens and, and everyone else. So it's, it's, it's very disappointing. And I, I fear that there will be no progress made in the, in the next six months on this topic. Well, thanks for clarifying this, Vicky. Now, a last question that relates back to what you started saying about the um, the call and the closeness of, of the, the Macron government and big business. Um, now, recently, President Macron has been talking a lot about the importance of making the European Union more sovereign. Um, and I think he was speaking in a geopolitical context, uh, given um, the power of the United States and China, but also for Europe to be able to produce enough strategic things like in the medical world or uh, concerning computers, etc. Um, now, when he talks about the need for, for European champions and, and more European sovereignty, what is wrong with that or what is, could be dangerous about this kind of political thinking? Well, you're right. Macron uses the word sovereignty in, in, in many different contexts when he's talking about the, the EU. But I think this language around European champions, as you say, is, 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 is very, um, misleading, really. It's a, it's a fancy way of saying, um, of talking about EU big business and about promoting EU big business. And I think we should be really worried about an agenda which seeks to promote big business wherever the companies are based, whether it's EU companies or, or companies from, from overseas. The Macron agenda, I think, for the, uh, for the presidency, as we have shown in our report, is one which is about, um, bringing in more private sector involvement in areas of, of, of life where traditionally they have not um, had such a, had such a role, perhaps even privatization or more public funding for private sector, um, uh, interests. So that's uh, one area of concern. But I think it's also an agenda which is about promoting European champions, quote unquote, in, in some really toxic sectors like the arms trade, like nuclear energy, like fossil fuels, like big tech. 
Um, and if you combine that with other parts of an agenda, which, which big corporations like, which is lower taxes, um, minimal env- uh, regulations on, on environmental um, side or, or, or weak labor rights, um, all of which we map out in our in our report. And I think it's a really worrying um, agenda. So I think we have to probe behind what, what it means to be talking about European champions. It means big business and we need to be very cynical about that, I think. Indeed. Thanks so much, Vicky, for your critical eye. And I would not like to um, maybe end with a cynical remark, but it was also Macron, if I'm not mistaken, that launched or was one of the co-leaders on the Future of Europe debate. But if I listen to you, the Future of Europe in his hands is not that bright at all. You're Thank right. You. He, he's very keen on the Future of Europe debate. And uh, you're right. I think we need to probe a little carefully about the the rhetoric and then the, the reality on the ground. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Vicky. Thank you. We'll now move to Laura Vreke for more details on Macron's European plans. Welcome, Laura. Um, you have uh, just published or published very recently um, a report on the French EU presidency. Um, what uh, what can you say about um, the design of that presidency and, and why, why, in your view, is, is that important? Well, I started looking into it in January this year because France has invested a lot into the presidency. So they recruited a lot of people and they also started doing lots of events, some of them with companies. And, and the whole idea for this presidency is to push for French national champions. So the idea is to really help the French companies to become global competitors. And so it's French national champions and not European champions? Well, through European alliances or European public money, there's an idea to fund French companies, maybe in the defense sector, but also in the energy sector or in the digital sector also. Right. And you say, so you indicate that the preparation of this presidency has been in close alliance with the private sector. Um, that refers, I guess, to what, what, what is understood with sponsorships. Uh, and there has been for many years criticism on EU countries that take the presidency and then basically are being sponsored. Okay. Can you explain briefly what France is doing and, and why that is a problem? So basically, every six months, a country has to he- head the council. So they also have to organize events and things like this, and they need money for this. They can get it from companies. So in the past, we've had countries getting money from Coca-Cola or BMW or other big companies. Germany didn't, but France decided to have a sponsorship with Stellantis and Renault, which are two French car companies. And it's not, uh, it comes at a really good time because France will have to lead the whole package on climate policies and France is likely to push for instance electric vehicles and it, or it it is electric and hybrid vehicles that those companies will give to the French presidency. Right and when you say it comes as a good time you mean at a good time for the companies? Exactly because the France will be discussing issues that are going to directly affect the companies that actually sponsor the French presidency. So the criticism of the past of these sponsorships uh, are are now alive uh, again, unfortunately, and and it, it, because it's it's about uh, privilege access of of private sector to policymakers and politicians, right? That is the core of the of the problem in this case. Yeah, there's there's two problems. One is that the council is what we often call a black box. 
So it's very difficult to know what countries vote in the council. It's actually not public. And it's also very difficult uh, to meet the representatives going to the council. And those companies are going to have access to the council because they are going to be working with the French presidency. So that's really a problem. They get privileged access. But it's also the whole corporate image because those cars are going to drive, um, are going to be driven by ministers and by heads of states from around the European Union. And they're going to see how the French sector as a French company, sorry, do great cars. And this is going to also improve their image. And they're going to sell this as a solution for the climate. So they're really going to promote their electric vehicle solution for the climate when the discussions should be more about how do we change the transport policies in order to really become green because an hybrid or an electric car is not actually green. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's indeed a whole separate discussion, but uh, it should be also uh, interesting, more interesting to talk about pan-European railways and public transport, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, you hinted already also at the black box um, that that is a nickname of the council uh, because of the lack of transparency. It's one of the least transparent uh, EU institutions. Um, what can you say with regards to the French presidency? Because there is little transparency in the preparation, but you have published figures about how many meetings they had and what what can we what can you say about those those figures and those meetings? So one of the improvements from previous presidencies is that you see the meetings of the ambassador of France to the EU and his deputy. And if you look at those meetings, um, the ambassador and the deputy both only had one meeting with NGOs where they had mm, almost 20 meetings with companies or trade associations. You already see that the companies are already trying to influence. But that's the only level, you know, you don't know, for instance, what happens at a lower, lower level in the, the French embassy to the EU, but you don't also have access to documents. So um, if as a journalist or as a citizen, I can ask for documents from the commission, I get summary of meetings and things. This is not something that I can get from the council. Right. So in terms of access to documents, it's improving, but it's it's very low compared to the levels that we can get from other institutions, for instance. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, here you only have partial information, but already that very limited information indicates that there is an imbalance in access to, to the decision makers and the top level uh, 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 policy makers, actually. Yeah, clearly we've, uh, we've had, there's only two meetings with NGOs, so it's nothing compared to the free meetings that there's already been with Digital Europe or the free meetings that there's been with, uh, uh, Dassault, for instance. So we see the defense and the digital, um, companies already having several meetings with the, the deputy and the ambassador, whereas the NGOs have only had one. Right. Now, finally, uh, on the preparation of the council, the presidency itself, I mean, um, you are from France originally, um, and so French people know that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has a lot of beautiful uh, rhetoric, rhetorical, beautifully speeches about democracy and in, and bringing citizens closer to politics, etc. Um, what can you say about this, um, this approach or this, this public speech in, in, in relation to what is happening with this EU presidency? Is there also ambition to bring European citizens closer to European Union policy? 
Well, there is an initiative by Macron to do a conference of the future of Europe in order to get citizens to give their opinion about Europe. But it's really an empty shell. And he's already done this with, there was a climate convention of citizens in France and all, very few of their proposals ended up being low. And here is the same because we have a conference on the future of Europe with really nice summits and really nice speeches. But the presidency has already been prepared. All the preparations are done. So when the citizens give out their conclusion, the French presidency will be in full swing. And there is no space or times where the proposal can actually become a law. So there is no mechanism to transform the results of the conference into real hard law. So to me, until now, it only looks like communication. Like political PR. Exactly. It's a lot of marketing and political communication because we had a time of a presidential campaign. Do you think that it works, like from a fr French perspective? I think it works because a lot of citizens would like to be involved in European matters. So I think there's an interest from citizens to be involved. So in the sense it works. I think Macron is also very clever and very good and has a really good staff working on public relations. Actually, a lot of the staff working on communications from his team actually comes from the private sector. There's a lot of revolving doors. People that used to work for companies or for PR firms now work for Macron or for the Minister of European Affairs. So the whole spinning is it spins really well mm -hmm. so i think it works but given the strong still strong tendencies um, concerning euroscepticism and uh, populism and what have you this risks to uh, hit hit them back in their face as a boomerang because once people discover that their so-called participation is not really valorized or valued really then it might turn into cynicism, for example, of, of people? Well, the thing is, first, is a question of timing. By the time they realize that the conference on the future of Europe will not lead to anything, the elections would have gone. Sorry to interrupt, because you mentioned the horrible word elections. <laughs> um, so it's important, not everybody maybe listening to this podcast will be aware that there's also French elections. Can you say why, why is that relevant and why is that important in the context of, of the European Union? So the presidential elections will be in April and May, but we also have legislative elections coming up in June. So it means that the presidency is going to be active only for three months, really, because after that it will be election time. In France, it's quite important because it's a real presidential system where the president is a real strong power. So presidential campaigns mean a lot. And what it means in terms of Europe is also that Macron is trying to put Europe as the center of the conversation of his campaign. And that's also because that's the one thing that differentiates him from his potential opponents, which is the extreme right. So when you mention populism, actually he's trying to bring in European issues to show that he's not like the extreme right. Hmm. And that's how he's going to try to sell Europe as he's a different one. And he really likes Europe and Europe. It's a great thing for citizens. But the whole problem is that Actually, citizens will soon realize that there was a lot of discourse, but behind that, there's not much reality. And it's it's a problem with Europe in general anyway, that, right. that Brussels is being blamed for a lot of things that actually national decision makers don't want to be held accountable for. Absolutely. Um, and talking, continuing a bit on that road is uh, you might defend Europe as a project, but of, obviously the question is often what, what kind of Europe are we talking about? And one of the central 
lines of criticism of your report is that Macron is basically defending a Europe that goes even more in a sort of neoliberal uh, direction where a lot of um, power is is given to corporate uh, uh, the corporate world and um, and and especially also when it comes to spending of um, um, uh, budgets um, recovery funds for example that a lot it's to be feared that a lot will go to uh, to um, to yeah pr- private sector and then w- without a good debate about is that really what we need for 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 example a solid European climate policy what what can you what can you say about that Yeah, so what we see is that there's a lot of public money that's been used for the recovery from COVID, but also for the future innovation um, towards big companies and towards innovation in projects that are um, not clean, like hydrogen or carbon capture and storage. Those are false technological solutions to the climate crisis. What, what the climate crisis really requires is political will and a changing of our ways of living and consumption but Macron's idea is not to change this it's to believe in technology that's going to help us and he also believes strongly in, in nuclear and the problem here is public money being fueled it's EU public money recovering funds but also um, what we call IPCIA but anyway it's, it's citizens money being given to big multinationals that already have a lot of money to f- for technologies that might come in 20 or 30 years, but even if they come out, first it will be too late, and second, we have no clear idea whether they're going to be really clean. So it's a very dubious agenda, and it's an agenda that is really questionable because what we've seen during the crisis is that we need money for public services, we need a better health system, we need a better education system. So this public money could be actually used in order to improve people's conditions of living every day rather than giving money to companies that already have a lot. Right. So, yeah, what you mentioned, the CCS and hydrogen and what have you uh, is being recognized by, by the climate movement and many experts as the so-called false solutions. And, and it sounds very unfortunate that France really wants to go that direction even, even more than is already the case. Um, that doesn't sound very promising. Now you, just to pick on what you said about public services, what can we, what can you say, what can you tell us on the basis of your report on, on that? For example, healthcare or, or social policies. What, what do you see there? Well, what was the fr- French agenda there for Europe? Um, in terms of healthcare, the French agenda is actually to be able to do what they call the health data space. So to be able to open up uh, citizens have data so that they are more accessible by the tech, uh, tech company and the digital companies in order to be able to share them. Ouch. Yep. <laughs> and then in terms of social, so there's a lot of talking about how they, we, France is going to promote a more social Europe. They talk about having a directive on minimum salary. They talk, there is a directive that's going to be discussed soon about platform workers. But again, here it's a lot of talking, but but behind that, uh, the situation is actually not great. First, on the minimum salary, there's too many countries that don't want it. So we know that it's only marketing because it's actually not going to happen. And on platform workers, despite the fact that um, there's a lot of talking about improving their living conditions, at the end of the day, what France wants is to have like a social dialogue at the European level. But it's not talking about rights, about workers' rights, about collective bargaining, 
this is not part of the talking of France. So despite the whole words behind, the reality is, is, is very different. And it's very unfortunate because when we think of platform workers, we think it's a very vulnerable category of workers. And in some European countries, they've managed to get some more rights. So if France doesn't higher up the rights at the European level, they're actually going to lower it down for everyone. And that's really a shame. And what's really cynical is how the speeches are so different from the reality. Yeah, that uh, doesn't uh, bit very well. And uh, it's now January uh, 2022, the start of the French presidency. Uh, is there any way that this can still be improved, corrected? Um, uh, France has a very strong debating culture, for example. Uh, do you expect any, is there any sparkle of light to... Um, to see or to expect from this French presidency? Or is it just basically going to make matters worse? As um, Well, you know, France is pushing for its own national champions. So we're talking here about the defense industry, the startup tech industry, and the nuclear industry. But in some areas, France doesn't have national champions like the chemical industry. So we see that... Uh, in terms of banning certain toxic chemicals, France has actually been a very progressive country. So, because it has no strong chemicals champions, you know? So there are issues that France will be pushing that uh, will actually could, could improve people's life in, in Europe. You could also say that it's already positive that you have someone that's going to wants like a head of state or wants to talk about Europe. The problem is how he's going to talk about it, but at least Europe is going to be part of the campaign, which is quite, um, yeah, a first step if you think about it. The only problem is the whole uh, discourse in France is really centered around immigration and Islam and it's very racist. And to me, that's the, the real problem that there's no, unfortunately, space for debate for European issues because the space has already been fulfilled by the extreme right. And this helps Macron because the more the extreme right is vocal, the more he looks like a socialist and the more he's likely to be re-elected. That sounds indeed like a sort of Kafkaesque situation that your country is in. Well, I wish you a lot of good luck and thanks for the talk. Thank you. We've come to the end of this podcast. A special thanks goes out to my guests Vicky Kahn and Laura Vreke for sharing their knowledge with us and for taking action. Also a big thank you to Mark Baroner and Jan Kallewaert for their technical assistance. If you like this podcast and if you value the work of CEO, then please support us by spreading the word in your networks and communities and for supporting us financially. Every euro helps us for staying independent. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, stay safe.